Welcome back to the Grief Observed podcast. I'm Brad Morell, your host. And if you want to be on the podcast, just uh, send me an email at griefobservedpodcast at gmail.com or connect with me on the Facebook page. Uh, my guest today is Kelly Darty, and Kelly is a licensed clinical social worker and a fellow in thanatology. And for anyone that does not know what that is, that is the study of death, dying, and bereavement. And uh, Kelly has also written a book with uh, 24 other authors. There's 25 total authors about grief, and it's called The Grief Experience. So I've got Kelly on to talk a little bit about her own grief journey and a little bit about this book. So Kelly, thanks for joining me today. How are you? Good. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you joining me. I always like to make connections with other professionals and, and try to give people resources. And uh, when I saw your book come across my Facebook page, I'm like, okay, this, this is a good opportunity. So I appreciate you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, first of all? Who's Kelly? Sure. Sure. So like you said, I'm a clinical social worker. I specialize in working in grief and loss. That's my passion and my specialty. I have a couple of different businesses, Greater Life Grief Counseling, which is my private practice. And I'm located in upstate New York, just north of Albany and Malta. And that is where I do my individual and group counseling. I'm able to provide um, counseling to people in New York, South Carolina, and Florida. And then I also have Center for Informed Grief, which I've started a little over a year ago. And with that business, my goal really is to be able to help therapists and school personnel become more grief informed because so many of us did not receive education in undergraduate or graduate in grief and loss and teachers even less than therapists. I really want to be able to help people become more grief informed so that there are more grief informed providers to be able to help grieving individuals because everybody grieves grief every grief is a normal natural response to loss and it's not just death. And so really I'm passionate about helping these therapists really be able to feel comfortable and confident in working with a grieving individual. And then I also have a third business, Healing Strides, which I'm super excited about. And this is a program I've been doing for several years with a colleague of mine who's also in the grief experience. And the first hour is a traditional grief group. And the second hour, we train for a 5K race. And at the end of the seven weeks, we all run a 5K together. That's and awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. It's my baby. It brings me so much joy. And I get emotional talking about it because it's such an amazing program and to see these women cross the finish line at the end of the seven weeks with this badge on their back that says I run in honor and memory of my loved one and they put their loved one's name and some have put pictures on there it just shows that somebody who's grieving and feels like they can't really set goals and work towards something they really can they can push themselves and they can get through that finish line and feel supported Wow. That's awesome. I, I used to love to run. Uh, my need no longer allows. <laughs> so yeah. I've learned to bike, but, uh, you know, exercises is definitely an important piece in the grieving process. Absolutely. And I love that you've integrated that. That's, that's mm -hmm. awesome. Um, yeah. so I wouldn't so, call myself a runner though. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. I'm usually, but I'm usually with the walk runners, <laughs> but we that's have an okay. amazing coach that Lisa Millis and she gets them all prepared. It's kind of like a couch to 5k program. So really any fitness level is able to accomplish it. We have some women that walk, we have some people that walk run and we have some people that run way faster than I could keep up with. <laughs> 
And I think that's one of the the misconceptions about exercise is that you have to be in this fantastic shape to, you know, to do these things. But really, especially in grief, I think it's just important to just start moving. You know, exactly. maybe like you said, that that uh, couch to 5K program is really cool for anybody just wanting to to move. But I think mm -hmm. it's important for people to understand that just getting off the couch sometimes is that first step. And and maybe that's all you can do at this point. You know, I'm, I'm exactly. a big believer in the small steps. I, I love the uh, Kaizen principle, you know, that small steps, instead of thinking, you know, I have to be running a marathon today. Um, what's that first step look like? And sometimes it is simply just getting off the couch. So exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of of where to start with you, with you, Kelly, but I know that you had one loss in particular that kind of started your own journey with grief and trying to help people through that. Why don't you speak a little bit about that? Sure. So when I was 14 years old, my mom died from breast cancer. She had been sick for about two and a half years. And actually yesterday, Valentine's Day was her birthday. So it was a little bittersweet yesterday mm. because of all that I've been processing recently with you know, the book coming out and talking more about my mom. So yesterday was a, was a little rough. It was a little more difficult, even though it's been almost 30 years since she died, it still can come up. And I think I was really reminded of that these last few weeks that grief isn't really something we get over. It's something we learn to live with. And at different points in our life, that grief may intensify and at other times it's okay. And, and for me, I've certainly have seen that intensify over the past few weeks, just being talking way more about my mom than I usually do. And, um, having a lot of emotions about this book and, and knowing that because of her death, this book is, is possible. And so after my mom died, um, literally the day of my mom's funeral, I got in my uncle's car and with his family and I drove down right to Kingsport, Tennessee and spent the next month there with them. And then I came home and the reality set in and I went back to high school as a 10th grader and was really struggling and really having a hard time and really felt like I was the only one that had experienced a loss at that age. I didn't know anybody that had had a parent die. Mm. And so my dad fortunately recognized that I was struggling and he got me to go to a hospice grief group. And I walked into that room and for the first time in my grief journey, I felt like I wasn't alone that there was other girls that were experiencing a similar loss. They were all, all of them had had their father die, but it was still apparent. And mm -hmm. so I was still able to connect with them. And I remember, I mean, every week I would leave that counselor's office, Rini, she was an amazing social worker. And I'd be like, do you have another book I can read? Because I was like, so wanting to understand what I was going through and to mm. feel less alone. And I think she probably ran out of books to give me <laughs> <laughs> because I was just like, I was like desperate to understand. And so after a while um, of doing the, my own work in the grief group and also family counseling with my dad, because things weren't great at home with him in my grief journey, then Rini started asking ask me to start volunteering with the children's program. And I did, and I loved it. And that's when I knew that this is what I wanted to do with my life. So I went to Florida State, got my master's in social work, worked at a couple of different hospices in my career, still volunteer for a children's grief camp today. And, yeah. you know, really have dedicated my current businesses to grief and loss because it is truly what I'm passionate about. And I find meaning in my grief every day by the work that I do. You know, in my opinion, something 
positive did come out of my mom's death. And it is that I've been able to help support people on their grief journey. Yeah. I'm a big believer in meaning making throughout grief. And, Mm -hmm. and it does state that, uh, the loss that we experience is not for nothing. Right. And, and you've certainly used your mother's, uh, death in a, in a way that really, um, expands into a lot of areas. And you think, I always say, uh, counseling is kind of like one of the best pyramid schemes in the world. And it's not a scheme of course, but it's just, uh, you know, it, it just spreads out, you know, you teach one person, one good thing and, They'll probably share that with others. And so I, I think about how this, uh, your your mother's death was kind of the catalyst for change in your life and how many people's lives have you personally changed. And then it just keeps going. So mm-hmm. fantastic. Exactly. You know, you'd mentioned anniversaries, and I think that's one of the hardest parts of grief. And, you know, you just stated, okay, number one, your mother's birthday falls on a very popular holiday. And Mm -hmm. I I think that in itself is really difficult in, in grief, you know, whether uh, an anniversary or something falls on, you know, Christmas or, you know, Christmas itself is, is a difficult time for people. We just got out of that holiday season. Um, What would you tell somebody that, that has a, a, a loss that is kind of locked into a holiday like that? I think from what I've experienced is usually leading up to the day is usually worse than the actual day. Mm. Not for everybody, but I think for the majority of the people. And some people crash the day after a big anniversary or a holiday. I've Mm -hmm. seen that as well. But I do think it's that leading up. I think it's that anticipation um, about that holiday. And I think it's about taking care of yourself, but also sitting with your grief. I really am a big believer that we need to lean into our grief, that we need to sit with it. We need to feel it, whatever that means. Maybe it's journaling or writing a letter to your loved one or looking at old pictures, or listening to some music that reminds you of them. How can you stay connected to them? That continuing bonds theory that we talk so much about Mm -hmm. in grief counseling, right? Even though they're physically gone, doesn't mean we can't still stay connected with them in some way. So figuring out what that is for you and putting that in place, but then also making a plan for yourself and choosing what your boundaries are. Just Mm -hmm. because it's say it's Christmas doesn't mean that you you have to celebrate the normal way, or you have to go to the family gatherings that you feel uncomfortable at regardless. And then you're bringing your grief with you. So I think you have to figure out what works best for you. For me, I don't go out to restaurants on Mother's Day. I haven't since my mom died. I think maybe once and I realized, oh, this is not something I want to be around today, right? So that's a boundary that I still have for myself just mm-hmm. because it is, it's too difficult to see that, it's to see all the moms out there with their families and know that I, I can't have that. Um, so that's just something that I've chosen for myself. But I think you have to think about what's best for you and make sure that you're practicing some self-care. And then sometimes when we do something like maybe leaning into our grief, we sit with something, maybe plan like a nice reward for yourself afterwards. Maybe it's going for a walk or maybe it's going to get an ice cream cone, or maybe it's just reaching out and doing something fun with a friend. Like give yourself a little bit of respite also from your grief, because we can't be in our grief 24 seven. If we look at that dual process model, right? That loss oriented and restoration oriented and how we oscillate between the two of them all day long. Right. And that's really what we need to feel, right? We need to feel that oscillation because if we're in it 24, seven, 
it's awful and it's hard and it's exhausting. So it's really important to be taking care of yourself and, and take some respite. Yeah. And you just uh, singled out my, my favorite model in grief. I absolutely love dual process. And uh, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, the best way I've ever heard it described for, for any listeners that, that are uh, unaware of what it is, you know, it's, you've got one that's kind of uh, a home for a while and, and one is a, a vacation spot. And then you kind of transfer over from loss to restoration, but it is this oscillation, you know, on a daily basis and a lifetime basis that, you know, there's moments of feeling relief. And then there's moments of, okay, I, I've, you know, I saw a picture that kind of reignited a little bit of that, uh, that loss in my heart today, or, you know, but uh, I, I like that model really well, and it's one of the ones that I, I uh, use often in my seminar. I'm not a fan of the five stages, you know. It's <laughs> me either. Thank, <laughs> thank you. you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, and, and you know, I I had someone recently listen to uh, a podcast uh, where I had Dr. Terry Daniel on with me, oh, and she's uh, fabulous. She is. She is. I really enjoyed her conversation. And, uh, she, she just wrote a, a really awesome journal article, you know, yes, and I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, I was like, oh, this is awesome. But I had someone say, I, I didn't know the five stages of grief were not really what we were going with at this point. And, and I said, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll tell you more about it later, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it is, it is not, uh, I don't even want to say it's a, a model period. Like it's just not, it's, it has been one of those things that people have just truly cashed in on over the years and it's just followed throughout. It's, it's just one of those, uh, clickish type things, I guess. That's probably the best way to, to state it in, in grief, in the grief world. So I don't yeah. know. So anyway, glad to hear that uh, you're on board with that as well. Yes, that is one of my biggest pet peeves about grief and loss is the five stages. So anytime that I can talk about that and dispel that myth, that that is something that's accurate because it's not. It really can make people feel like they're doing their grief wrong. And right. I heard somebody the other night in a group and she it was a new group and she goes, I think I'm in that anger stage. And I was like, okay, I'm going to just just keep myself quiet right now. But then when I go into my psychoeducation, I will go over why we don't talk about the five stages and we don't use it because it isn't accurate. And there is no sixth stage now. And this isn't something that's ever been proven. And as I'm sure Terry talked about, I mean, I love her article. I give out her article as much as I possibly can to people because it isn't ever been proven. And why are we still teaching this in medical schools in health classes and high schools and you know to therapists because it's not mm -hmm. accurate yeah i was telling terry on on uh our podcast episode that i was watching this uh documentary recently and it's called uh the passing on and it's about this embalmer in uh i, I want to say louisiana maybe anyway he was kind of teaching these younger embalmers uh, so it, that was kind of the passing on of the trade. And, uh, but there's one point where one of the other embalmers is like drilling this new kid on the block, you know, for, and he's like, what's the five stages and what order is it in? And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Um, but it's, that is how ingrained it is into our society. And, uh, like Terry and I were speaking too, it's, it's also, um, in different business models, like they'll go through it's, it's everybody's trying to cash in on the five stages. And, uh, 
I don't know. So good education. Well, they want they want neat and order, right? They want something to make sense. And the reality is grief is a hot mess. It is. It isn't. You know, the dual process is such a good representation, but we can even oscillate within a minute. You Absolutely. Know, we can be we can be crying and then laughing the very next moment and then back to crying. And that doesn't account for it in the five stages. And although, you know, the proponents of the five stages will stages will say, oh, it's not linear and blah, 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 blah. But they're still saying in their books, like, well, if you're not feeling anger, then you're basically not doing it right. And that's mm. just not accurate. Not everybody feels anger and depression and grief is so different, mm-hmm. you know? And so people think they're grieving. Oh, they, I have clients come in all the time and say, they say, I'm depressed. And I go, I give them a handout and it's the difference between grief and depression. And I said, look at this. What do you think? And they're like, oh, I'm grieving. Exactly. Mm. And so I think it's a really important thing to be able to educate people about that because they assume that they have depression when they're grieving, which is a normal, natural response. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think through good education, um, maybe we can change the world one person at a time. That's, that's my goal. So, and maybe we're changing several with this podcast today. You know, they may be, this may be the first time they're hearing that the five stages is not where it's at. So go do some research um, and send, send an email to me. I'll be glad to send you more. I want to talk a lot about your book and I, I will be honest. I, I've only seen the cover. I've seen a few clips about the book and, and a few things that I've read, but I've not been able to. Uh, I, I'm I'm a paper copy guy. I know there's a great deal on Amazon right now for uh, a digital copy, and I may go ahead and do that. But I, I like paper. I like making notes and highlights. So, but anyway, tell me more about this book, Kelly. What's what uh, what's going on in the book? You've got a lot of people that's really helped you here. Yeah. So it's been always my dream to write a grief book because I really want to get the information out there that. One of the things is what grief really looks like and to dispel those five stage myths, because I'll get a book and I'll get so excited about it and I'll start reading it. And then I get, oh, really? They're talking about this. And it's Mm. just, and I get so disappointed. So I've always wanted to write this book on grief and loss and, but it started, you know, get nervous, don't know where to go. And then I was reached, I was offered a spot in holistic mental health, which came out a couple of years ago. The lead author was Laura Mazada, and she wanted me to write about grief. And so in there, I wrote the story of my mom's death. And I'd probably rewrite it again now, but now that I have a little more experience, but that really kind of propelled this moving forward. And so I did that. And then I was part of Brave Kids. And these books are great because they're collaborative books. So you just have to write a chapter, 3000 words, easy peasy, right? Much easier than writing a whole book. Sure. And so, well, maybe not easy peasy, but you know, <laughs> easier than a whole book. And so I did that and I really liked it. And I was like, I spoke to the publisher, Brave Healer Productions, Laura DeFranco. And I was like, what about a grief book? And she's like, absolutely. Like, let's talk about it. Talk to her about it. I got scared. I was like, mm. no, it's a, it's a big, in, it's a big investment. It's a big commitment. Like I have to find 24 authors to want to take part in this and to participate. 
And so I reached out to her again a few months later. Laura Mazzotta from Holistic Mental Health kind of gave me another push. And I finally decided that this is what I wanted to do. So January of 2022, I started this or 23, I started this process and I had to find these authors. And fortunately, several of them are local. There's 11 of them out of the 25 authors that are in based in the capital region of New York. So I know a lot of them already. Some of them I didn't, but um, was able to get them on board. We have a funeral director, a local funeral director. She's a fourth generation funeral director, the first female funeral director in in the line in her family um, funeral home. And then I got a grief coach locally. And then I branched out nationally and kind of put out some posts in some different groups and started interviewing people. And I was really kind of picky. Like I really wanted a wide range of loss losses. I didn't just want it to be 25 authors who had experienced the death of their mom at 14. You know, I wanted it to whoever picked up that book to be able to relate to at least one of those authors. And I wanted different types of losses because it's not just, this book is just not about bereavement or, and, you know, grief due to death. Mm -hmm. It has, it has pet loss, which I wrote about. So, which is a disenfranchised grief. It has about divorce. It has about infertility. It has about traumatic grief and ambiguous loss and anticipatory grief, all these different kinds of loss experiences. So I really do believe whoever reads it can relate to at least one author. And that's what I wanted. I wanted it to be a collection and I wanted it to be different. So that's, you know, where it started and started finding them. And then we started our process together, writing and connecting. And I'm, I'm so proud of what we created. I didn't get to read everybody's chapter ahead of time. I, the publisher did it all the editing. And then I got a copy and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is kind of nerve wracking. Like, is, is everybody in this book going to have written what I agree with? Mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, your name's so, on it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, this is this is a little nervous. But I sat down on my couch on a Saturday morning, and I don't know how many times I cried in how many of the chapters. They are vulnerable, they are raw, and they are real. Mm. And they're just beautiful. And I'm so proud of what we created. It is really what I wanted. And... Um, I couldn't be more proud of the authors. So many of them are therapists. And, you know, before we came on today, Brad, you kind of asked me if anything was off limits. And I was like, no, I'm pretty much an open book, right? Right. As therapists, we don't always share our stories. And so this book for these authors, it was, it was nerve wracking a little bit. You know, they were a little scared to be able to put out such a vulnerable story that potentially their clients could be reading. But Mm. at the end of the day, we are human. We experience grief as well. And I think it's, I'm just so proud of all of them for, for, for saying yes and for doing this. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And, and you're right. I, I think therapists, uh, sometimes are given a hard time, like what that we're that we can't be vulnerable or we can't be, uh, you know, I, I like they state, you know, we're, we're not 10 feet tall and bulletproof, you know, that's, we, mm-hmm. we do have to let our guards down sometimes and, and just be able to share our story, you know? So that's, that's great. And, uh, I, I, I don't know that I could have done that, like having 24 other people write without me stating, okay, <laughs> if, if I'm, uh, if my name's on this with them, <laughs> I, I wrote a book, uh, two years ago, it's like a divorce workbook and that was so nerve wracking. So 3000 words sounds really good to me. <laughs> it's like, wow. <laughs> exactly. I, 
my wife, she, she was, uh, I guess we'll say my editor. Uh, we just kind of co-edited this thing. And by the time we had read through it three or four times a piece, we're like, I hate this book. <laughs> <laughs> so I think having, having somebody else do all that work for you, that's, that's great too. But, uh, 3000 exactly. words. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> Well, and also, which I should have mentioned, is that each chapter is set up in a very specific way. So the first part of the chapter is their story, their personal story. And then the second half of the chapter is a tool, a tool to help the reader on their grief experience. So it's 25 different tools in the book. So that's that's also the great thing is it gives people a little bit of hope and gives them something to be able to do with their grief and be like, oh, okay, you know, I can try try this journaling technique, or I can try journey dance, or I can try this art activity. So there's a lot, that's what I'm really, which also made it probably a little easier to write because you're sharing your story, but you're also sharing a tool. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Now I'm even more excited to get it. <laughs> I know. Well, I'll uh, send you a copy, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah. I, I, I love, uh, tools and and I don't think that we can have enough in our tool bag honestly and it's exactly. I always tell my clients you know if I give you something this week and it doesn't work hey we go back to the drawing board and I'll give you two or three more tools next week and mm -hmm. not all of my tools are going to work for you you know it's uh mm -hmm. sometimes a hammer doesn't work when you need a screwdriver right it's exactly so uh, but just to have a a lot of tools there for someone to uh you know, see what works for them. That's great. Exactly. Hmm. Well, what else can you tell me, Kelly? Like it's uh, any other books in the works or is this, is this going to be it for a little while? Well, actually I do have another book coming out in um, really? a couple okay. of weeks. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So it's called Brave Kids and it's volume two mm. and it's uh, from Brave Healer Productions as well. So it's 25 stories, children's stories, and they're not just grief. They're a wide range of different stories about children being brave. And so I was part of Brave Kids one where I wrote about with the help of some little girls that I know. We wrote it together and it's the story about um, a sibling dying and mm. then going to a grief counselor and going to a grief camp. And so in Brave Kids Volume 2, I wrote about the death of a classroom bunny rabbit because this happens, right? And I remember many years ago, I had somebody that she reached out to me because her bunny rabbit had died. She was a first grade teacher and she called her principal and was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do tomorrow? And the principal goes, go buy another bunny that looks like it. And I was like, no, this is like a teaching opportunity. This is a great opportunity to talk about death and dying and grief and loss. And why, you know, no, don't do that. And I gave her some recommendations and resources, but there's really nothing out there about that. So when volume two was coming out, I was like, that's what I'm going to write about to be able to talk about how a class can grieve together and also move forward. Right. And not take it as a learning because what better way to teach kids? Because if we are actually more open about grief and loss, maybe that could change our society as a whole. Mm -hmm. As a society, we suck at talking about grief and loss. Absolutely. We don't want to. We want to avoid it. We want to avoid people who are grieving. We don't know what to say. We say all those cliched responses that aren't helpful. So I feel like we need to do a better job of teaching kids early on. 
And so that's why I wrote this story, but I also want to plug, I'm super excited to share totally not grief related, but my 16 year old niece is also part of this book and she wrote a story in it. And she talks about, it's a based on her own personal story of overcoming selective mutism. So I'm really proud of her, what she has accomplished in her life. Like I said, she's 16 and she's the first time they're having a teen author in Brave Healer Productions. And they've done a lot of books. The Grief Experience was their 75th book. So um, to be able to have her part of this and to do this together with her, it's really pretty exciting. Yeah, that is awesome. That is awesome. Um, yeah, tell your publisher, I've always wanted to write a book. Uh, I, I think I've always gone, I was going to entitle it. Um, what was it when the last casserole was gone? Okay. That's my, <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. but I, it was going to be like the, uh, it seems like you like the number 25 since you got two books there that have 25 <laughs> things in it. I was going to write like the top 100 dumb things that I've heard at a funeral. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Yes. I've always said that I wanted to write a book about that kind of stuff because it's so, it's like mind blowing. And then I think I've heard the worst and then somebody else will come in and tell me something else. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, really? Yeah. And I know there's, there's uh, what they call the rule of thirds and, and you know, it's like a third of people will be uh, helpful to you. A third of people will be neither helpful nor hurtful. And then there's the third that's hurtful. And, and I feel like these people do have good intentions. It's just, absolutely. are they just passing on these things that they've heard at, you know, funerals they've attended, but it's like, how do we just stop the hurt and, and really key in on, you know, helpful things for people? I don't know. Exactly. One thing that you had mentioned there that I want to talk about real quick is replacement. And, and I think that's something that a lot of people really, encourage people to do whenever they experience a loss, just like this bunny you're talking about, like, Hey, go buy one that looks exactly like it. Um, and I see that with people in spouses, like, okay, I've, I've lost my spouse. This space hurts so badly. I'm going to start dating again and perhaps too quickly. What are your thoughts on replacement in general with grief? Well, I don't really think it it works, right? You know, yeah. uh, I'll give you an example. So a few years ago, my sister's family, their dog died. And a few months after the dog died, um, my nephew purchased a dog. He was ready. He was excited. But my, my niece was not. Mm. And she did not like this puppy. She did not want anything to do with this puppy at first. Because it, she's like, it can't replace Dakota. They love Dakota, you know, that was their childhood dog. And she really struggled with that. And you watched it now. She absolutely loves the new pup, but it took her a while to come around to that. And I think that's what happens. Everybody moves at, you know, there's, there's no timetable on grief. Right. And so somebody who's a widow, they may be ready to start dating and exploring. But I also think for somebody as a widow, it's about finding the right person. Because I, um, my dad obviously is a widow and he is dating a widow. And what I love when I go to her house is she has a picture of her and her husband right next to a picture of her and my dad. And 
I think that's, we don't see that enough, right? We, ex, we ex think that when somebody dies, especially somebody young, say mm -hmm. a young mother dies, right? You see a lot of times some, that um, father feel like, well, we need to replace, we need to find a new mom for these kids. Right. And then they move on. And then sometimes depending on who they date may not be open to still having pictures of mom around the house or talking about mom or keeping mom's memory alive. And I think that's where it could be really become damaging and hurtful and cause complicated grief for sure. Hmm. So I, I don't think there's a timetable. I don't think you can say to somebody, oh, you need to wait a year before you start dating because everybody does grieve differently, but you can't replace somebody. And when we do that, I really think it probably leads to some delayed grief. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. It, it will, I always say grief will find you at some point. You can, exactly. you can delay it. Uh, but a lot of times it comes back and interest is paid, right? It's, mm -hmm. uh, or interest is due at least. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you there. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask you about, you had mentioned grief camps and where I'm at here in Tennessee, I don't know of any grief camps around here. Um, oh, yeah, I, I'm That's totally unaware. It is. So tell me more about grief camps. Yeah, so I've done tons of them throughout my career, but I currently volunteer for Cindy's Comfort Camp, which is based in the Adirondacks of New York. And a local cancer center, one of the local hospitals runs this camp. And Jerry Florio is the, the founder of it. And actually, we just ex had our 20th anniversary of Cindy's Comfort Camp this past year. After 9-11, he went to volunteer at another camp and was like, we need to do this in our community and started up Cindy's Comfort Camp. And I always, so I'm a healing circle leader, which means I do these little mini grief groups throughout the weekend. So camps aren't just like, we just sit around and talk about our loss, but we also do fun things throughout the weekend, normal camp stuff. Right. And do the ropes course, do a talent show, do, you know, maybe ride horses or go swimming, whatever it looks like. But I do these little mini healing circles. So all of my volunteers, I always say to them, if these kids get nothing out of this weekend, but to know that they're not alone in our grief, in their grief, then it was worth all of our time. And that's what happens. These kids show up at camp, just like I did when I was 15 and showed up at that grief group and didn't feel alone. They look around and they know that everybody there has also experienced a loss and it's mm. usually a parent loss. So they're able to connect and they're able to spend these moments of these healing circles, lean into their grief and then go outside and have some fun because that's what kids do, right? Kids grieve very differently than adults and mm -hmm. they grieve through their play. And so it gives that opportunity to do both. And camp is exhausting, um, but it is so much fun and I love it. We offer it twice a year up here. There's camps throughout the country. The Dougie Center and the National Alliance for Grieving Children are great websites to check out to see if there is a camp in your area. They do have um, those resources on those sites. And if you're thinking you've ever wanted to volunteer with kids, you know, this might be a great opportunity to do because all these camps are usually volunteer led and mm. it takes a special person. And some of the volunteers that I've met through camp, actually, Lisa Millis, who's in the book, and who's my running coach, I met her at grief camp. We were roommates and we met in 2010 and that sparked the beginning of our friendship. And because these people that volunteer for camp are amazing, they're amazing people, but the kids are even more amazing. They're brave, they're courageous, and you see what they're going through. 
and it's to be able to help them. You don't know what a difference you're making in this child's life by able to be there for them. Mm. Yeah. I always say, you know, we don't find our calling, our calling kind of finds us. And it sounds like that's what's happened in your life. It sounds, um, you know, through, through one, uh, tragic event for you, the passing of your mom, uh, it's led to many, many good things. Absolutely. Um, Kelly, tell me anything else that you think we're missing here. Well, I wouldn't mind talking a little bit about pet loss. So like I said, that's yeah. what my chapter's on. And because pet loss is a disenfranchised grief, and what that means is it's not always accepted by society. It's minimized. Mm -hmm. And disenfranchised grief is, is many different kinds of losses, right? And in the book, we talk a little bit about that. Actually, one of the girls that wrote in the book, she writes about um, moving from Poland as a child, they, the family was entered into a lottery that they didn't even know they were entered into and they won this lottery and were told that they had to move to the United States. Wow. And yeah. So her chapter is called uprooted and talks about coming here and, you know, the struggles with fitting in and feeling like she belongs and not having the support. And so that is another type of disenfranchised grief that I think is really minimized and so I wrote about pet loss because in the last year we've had two pups die mm. and they were both elderly and one PJ, which I wrote about, he died pretty suddenly. I came home on a Monday night. He was doing great, you know, came over, gave his, he always came up onto my legs and gave me kind of like put his head under my arm and kind of gave me what we called a big hug and was wagging his tail and happy. And then Tuesday night I came home and my husband said, something's not right. And he progressed pretty quickly. And that Thursday we had to help him transition and have the vet come to our home. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty shocking because the other pup had been sick for a while. So we were kind of prepared for Boomer to go, but we weren't really prepared for PJ and we don't have children. So there are babies mm -hmm. and our life has revolved around them and taking care of them, making sure we kind of, we work in the same office. He's on the other side of the wall here, but, um, we kind of take turns like, okay, you're at the office. I'm at home. So making sure that we were taking care of our boys. And so it was a big, it was a big transition. And to be perfectly honest, the support kind of sucked. Mm. People just kind of minimized it. And we're like, oh, you can just get another or, oh, you have PJ or you have boomer. So it'll be okay. Well, no, PJ was our baby. And so you can't just replace him. Like we talked about before, mm -hmm. you know, it's, we're, we're in the process of, um, adopting a pup, but it's, I wasn't ready right away. I needed to kind of be able to work through some of my grief. And I think doing this book was a big part of it was to be able to write this and, and to share about it because it is, it can be really difficult for people. Yeah. I think with pet loss and, and I'll use my personal experience. I have a daughter. My wife does not have any children. Okay. So our, our dogs are her children, whereas mm -hmm. I have a daughter. And I think that's a big piece of it that, you know, when, you know, you're stating, okay, we don't have kids. So these out, they, they are our kids. Right. And mm -hmm. I, I think that's a huge thing. And I think people who have children may pass that over very quickly just because yep. they don't see that, uh, there is relationship with pets, right? And especially, you know, when you're looking into, and, and I guess it, uh, even what I was about to say is unfair, but 
you know, you think of uh, a pet that you've had for many, many years, you know, there, I will tell you this, one of my favorite movies that I've watched that I absolutely was bawling like a baby in the movie theater was Marley and me. And what I had decided about the movie was the, the dog to me in, in the movie was kind of like that, uh, the benchmark for people watching themselves get older. Like the dog was always there in every scene, you know, and it's sometimes the, the dog was kind of background. Sometimes it was part of the, the main story, but uh, we, we do um, share great moments with pets and, and they can be just as much a part of a family as a human. Uh, sometimes I would rather be around animals than humans. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I can certainly see uh, where, you know, it is a disenfranchised grief that people uh, just kind of blow past that because it's not personal to them, you know, and, and there is that replacement factor. Just get another dog. Would you tell somebody to get another kid? Hey, you know, your, your, exactly. your kid passed away. Just go get another one. No, that is not what you would say. Why is it so easy to do that with pets? Yeah, well, and I think what you said, you know, it it depends on what that pet is. That, that pet just enhancing your life and enhancing your family, or is that pet become your family? Mm. And I think for a lot of people, I do a pet loss group once a month, and you know, the the people that come, it there it was their babies, and that was that the pet got them through some of the top, toughest times in their life. I think about for me, I had adopted a retired racing greyhound after I had gotten out of a long-term relationship. And so Tally was there for me. She got me through some really um, dark moments and hard times. And we moved up to New York together and we went through a lot of different experiences together. And she was always there. She was that constant for me. I knew when I came home from work, she'd be there so happy to see me and excited and gave me that unconditional love that I needed. Mm. And, you know, and then when I had, and then she got bone cancer and she died 11 years ago, it was, I was not ready for another pup for a while. I, and then I met my husband and he had the two pups. So I was like, okay, well, I guess here we go. But, <laughs> you know, she really was a really big part of my life for so long. And, um, was that constant? Mm. That's a good way of putting it too. Yeah. Um, well, Kelly, I, I really appreciate you being here today and sharing um, a lot about your book and uh, just about your your story and how you got into grief. Um, and and uh, I maybe I'll talk with you offline at some point about uh, joining ADEC. I've always thought about doing a, a fellowship as yeah. well, and um, yeah. I, I need I need to learn a little bit more on that, but. Um, I, I will certainly have your, your book in, in the show description for everybody okay, to, great. uh, grab. And, uh, whenever you come to East Tennessee, we'll, we'll share a, well, I'll buy you a, a pal's milkshake. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but Hey, I, I appreciate you being here today and, uh, just couldn't thank you enough. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. And listeners, thanks for joining in on this episode of the Grief Observed podcast. Please share it with friends and family. And uh, if you want to be on the show, please contact me and I'll have that in the show description as well. And uh, hope everybody has a great day.